Welcome, one and all, back to this carnival of madness. Uh, River Do's and River Don'ts. Special presentation. Pros and cons. Quinn edition. We're going to be tackling part two of Riverdale the day before a prequel novel by Mikal Ostow. Part two entitled, of course, Afternoon. Hey, Quinn. Hey, Rob. How, how you doing? Uh, I chugged all the way through Afternoon with the bits and pieces of time I could scrape by just yesterday uh so my head's spinning a little bit a little bit so it starts let's see on page 101 and goes to 213 so it is Big 112 stretch. pages long so it's the lo- i think it's the longest section yeah by by a little bit the, the last section's pretty short actually Uh, So I I assume our next thing, we're going to do a bit of a wrap-up discussion, I guess, as well, because evening is a bit uh, shrimpy Uh, by comparison. Yeah, it's like 50 pages. That's like three or four chapters. And the font size, not not small, the font in this book. Yeah, it's actually pretty important to note. This is something that maybe struck me because it's been a while since we did this before, and I've been away from the book for a little bit. This is not overall a very long book, right? Mm -mm. it's It's not a hugely long book. And as you pointed out, The print is gargantuan. Like, this is some peak trying to get an assignment in without doing enough work in school energy. Well, and, like, as someone who sometimes struggles to read because of, like, ADHD and losing my place on, like, small text pages and, like, getting really caught up with, like, how far into a page am I? This book makes me feel like a god. I can just sit there and I'm like burning through pages and I'm like, what is happening? Oh, yeah. You turn pages fast because there are only five words on each page. Uh, But yeah, so the print's huge. The book's short. And even that's not enough. There are all these intercalary like emails and text messages and all these other little like we'll get into like there's just a poster or like a pop up ad. And it's like, okay, so we're eating pages that way as well. In an already short and large print book, and then the 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 creme de la creme, like the coup de gras is a better term to use, is that there's four fucking narrators who don't ever meet each other, really, or like only briefly. Or so do anything. Well, okay, that's that's the next part, but like in this short, large print, frequently interrupted book, there are four point of view characters. Meaning each character has about 50 large print pages in the Mm -hmm. whole book. And that's generous with all the stuff that's added in, text messages, prologue, emails, blah, blah, blah. It may actually be a little less than 50 pages for each character. Yep. And these are not dense pages. Especially if you count in your secret fifth point of view character, the 10 pages of journal from Dilton Doily. Oh my god, you mean the best part of the book? <laughs> oh yeah, easily the best part of the book. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll get into it, but that's just, there's no time or word count for e- any of these characters to have anything happen. It's like, I feel like I'm holding in my hand a sophisticated ambush predator that has disguised itself as a book. Yeah, there's there's a lot to say. I mean, kind of. It's weird. Kind of. There's a lot to say about how little is said. Yes. Uh, so how do we want to do this? How do we want to go through afternoon? I don't know. Do we want to just try to go through it linear? Do we want to talk about like each character's arc through I, 
I think arc. that I think it may be actually slightly more illuminating to talk about each character and then also sort of like take note of like the other random shit that gets thrown in to eat up pages. All right. Going through each character, I think it the mask comes off a little bit. I think it's very intentional that it is a generally a four character rotation so that you get the feeling that more is going on than it actually is. <laughs> yes. Um I think that's very deliberate. I do want to hear from you, Rob, in your perspective. <laughs> which of these characters actually has the most happening here in this section? Fuck. I've got a very I think I have a strong opinion on it having in read this through it section? yesterday. In afternoon. Well, neither Archie or Jughead have anything happen. No, they're just sitting on their hands. Uh, well, okay, Jughead has one piece of information revealed to him that is very consequential to him, but that's it. And it's not like the way some other pieces of crucial information are with the other characters where there's a lot more buildup there. It's really that one interaction. Oh, yeah. He has no, two it's just interactions that sort him, of like and the rest of his pages it. are just him jacking off, like you yeah. expect. Yeah. Yeah, so, so like, it is, they are not in the running. Not at all. Betty and Veronica, I would argue, have a similar amount of actual plot happen to them. It's just distributed completely differently. Probably. Um, Betty Probably. has, like, a slow burn of stuff happening to her, interrupted by bullshit here and there. Whereas Veronica Moore has, like, her first half of this section is mostly bullshit, and then a lot happens to her yeah, at the end. I certainly feel like the tension like, the experience of, like, narrative tension is actually executed upon, I would say, better in Veronica's section, even if it's pretty absurd. The last chapter of Veronica for the afternoon part is one of, like, the most story-like elements of this book right. so like, far. I sit there and I read that and I think, huh, what if this was a good book? Yeah, like, let us it... whisper of a dream. Okay, so, yeah, I think Betty and Veronica maybe do have similar amounts of stuff, but I think that the way that it's, like, framed and, like, pushed, at least for me, was a little bit more effective with Veronica. Yeah. But the book starts with Betty. Yeah, so, so we better we better also start with Betty. Let's talk about Backpack Gate. Oh, yeah, Backpack Gate. Although we can't even get into that first before we read her ad copy for fake wood wallpaper. Fuck. It's like, bad. Which, you might it's argue rough. that it's only, like, about a whole page worth. However, you know, we did, in the previous section, build up to her writing this. So there's actually more page count devoted to the article. So. And her feelings about the article. Again, I say, about fake wood wallpaper. <laughs> there's decompression, too, on the other side. Like, she processes the whole thing after. Oh, yeah. I, so do we just want to, like, give this some air here? And, like... So, we're 102 pages into the book. About yes. 25, uh, generously, of these pages have been spent on Betty and her journey, which yeah. has thus far led up to woodworks. Guys, we get it. <laughs> Whether it's your bedroom, your dorm room, or your very first big girl apartment, your personal space is your number one place to express yourself. But if you're not an honest-to-guy-a homeowner... And who among us is? Hashtag goals. Oh, it's relatable. Your options for personal expression may be limited. But here at Hello Giggles, we don't believe in limits. That's where temporary wallpaper comes in. <laughs> God, it hurts I know. out loud. I know. We've been talking about wallpaper for a few years now. You're thinking, by this point, florals are so passe. 
We agree. <laughs> Woodworking and wood details are the next big thing. Sure. And the key to achieving the look on a young thing on the go's budget? Thang on the go. Thang on the go. Sorry, we gotta get this right. Uh, it's very yeah. important. A young thing on the go's budget. Again, we say wallpaper. Confused? Stay with us now. Believe it or not, this season's patterns are industrial, earthy, and decidedly unlike your god What? What? And decidedly unlike your grandmother's lattice work and chintz florals. Can you say beadboard or wainscot? Because that's just what's on trend and in stores right now. It's wallpaper. It's wood. <laughs> it's two looks in one for one unbeatable style statement. And it's yours. All yours. You're welcome. That's fucking miserable. <laughs> Honest to Gaia homeowner. I. It's so much worse actually hearing it said by a human. Because I can hear the cadence of a brand. Like, yeah. when, I, when I speak it out, it's like with poetry sometimes. It doesn't hit until you actually, like, speak it out. It's like poetry, Except it rhymes. <laughs> Except this is the devil's poetry, um, or marketing. It's like a Pete Buttigieg campaign ad, or something he would say in a speech. While trying to imitate the cadence of Barack Obama. Yeah. We're going to redecorate our homes. All these young things on the go. <laughs> <laughs> and... In the town of South Bend, we know just the way to do it. And it's not chintz wallpapers. There's no floral patterns. I'm talking here about people. It's beadboard. also not uh, black leadership. Anyway. Can't have fuck that. Fuck Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. Fuck Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I'm and sorry for our his weird... Pete for America listeners who may be offended by this. I assume there's like none of you. <laughs> I, yeah, sorry. Sorry if I'm getting up in the Patreon feed <laughs> dropping some hot political dunks <laughs> yeah. that you weren't we prepared to, we for. We need to stay on task. We stay on target. Anyway, yeah, that's the beginning of this section. Holy God. And and we get that, and then we get Betty talking about how it felt to write that. Yowza. How much she struggled for those 150 words. Yeah, that that may be a bit illuminating about Nicole Ostow. Maybe I'm maybe I'm well, reading into it too much, but it's so, like oh, it's so hard to get all these perfect words. It's like it is 150 words of garbage. <laughs> this morning, before our call, I was actually reading um, the manga Downfall by Inio Asano, which I I picked up recently. Joe bought it for me. I've been a fan of Asano's work for a long time. He's one of the best mangaka I think I've ever like experienced, like read the work of. But this is very clearly informed by his life. It's about a. Uh, like, manga author who's just coming off of, like, a long run of a relatively successful series with a title that kind of sounds like his own, like, last long-running title. There's some, like, visual cues that sort of make him look similar. The office space that he's in, it looks pretty similar to the one that I saw him working in in um the episode of Naoki Urasawa's Manben. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the whole character arc, like, seems to be really informed by... Like, his own disillusionment with the industry of manga and, like, what that takes out of people and how demoralizing and horrible it is. Anyway, this is, like, the opposite of that. This is that for someone who doesn't know how to write a book. Yeah, it's, uh... Again, it's entirely possible that Osto's powers are much greater than we give her credit for. Because it is quite possible that this book was written in, like, two or three days. And there's a couple slivers of, like, huh... Maybe this could be good between some of the Veronica stuff and genuinely, when we get to it, that Dilton Doily, like, passage? 
what the is like it's fucked up the same book and dark and weird and supernatural in a way yeah, that we yeah. never get indication that like Dilton Doily believes in ghosts and shit. This book has its own Shoggoth box moment. So we'll we'll get there. Um, but first we gotta deal with Backpack Gate. You're right. Right. And like Betty's been trying to get a hold of Veronica Lodge, but she can't because Veronica's so up in living her coastal elite lifestyle. <laughs> and she can't because that would ruin the plot of the TV show. <laughs> I scrolled through my messages again, and then my recent calls just to be sure. Nothing from Veronica Lodge. And of course, no email either. Frustrating. Then again, I'd managed to squeeze 200 words out about wallpaper. Veronica Lodge was no match for me. Insane. Also, it, I mean, it kind of ruins it anyway. Because when they meet each other in the main show, they don't talk about this. But Well, yeah. Betty's weird. trying to get a hold of Veronica. It's not working. And she somehow gets in a little bit of hot water at the office. I was genuinely uh, confused by this when I was reading it. Like, as they were leading up and, like, laying things out, I was like, wait, is this about what she said in the article? Like, did she... Is it because she, like, dunked on florals? What the fuck is going on? And then... Yeah, nope. it's, uh... It's, uh... Let's see here. Just for, for math's sake. One, two, three... It's about four, it's slightly over four whole pages of her just processing the feeling of having written that article before we get to the actual, like, plot bit here. Fuck, that's me anytime I do anything. <laughs> me when I go on Twitter.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, her, her boss is mad at her. Because some items wound up in her bag that were from the top shelf of the clothing rack. That they have at work, or like the the closet that they have at work, the inspiration for... closet or whatever. Ugh. So there's some tension that starts developing here between her and Rebecca about the fact that Betty seems to have stolen this. And the important thing about the top shelf is you don't touch the top shelf. Everything else is fair game, but you don't go to the top shelf because that's the stuff that they need for upcoming photo shoots. So my... it's like a big deal. Oh my god! And I gotta say. As for Betty, these accusations, they make the anger rise in her, hot and bubbly. Uh, that's just a little quote from page 111. Thank you for that. Again, with the half-moon scars. Yep, um, we've, wa we've watched at least two episodes of the show. Yep. So, Betty decides that it's time to try to clear her name to Nancy Drew this thing. Yep. And there's only one other person in the office besides Rebecca, and it's a receptionist named Cleo. Uh-huh. Hashtag not my Cleo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen to Arms of the Tide. There's a good Cleo in that. Um, yeah, that's true. We'll keep that one and not this one. So then basically she just gets let off with a, a wag of the finger, like a warning, like, don't do like, it again. Yeah. And if, do that piece on Veronica Lodge. And the injustice of it is uh, causing her to go crazy. Yeah, she doesn't like that at all. So then 50 pages later, we get back to Betty. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Before we do that, just get the piece on Lodge done and filed, Rebecca said. I think we're all ready for the holiday to start. <laughs> Done, I said. And it would be. I'd write that piece on Veronica Lodge, mysterious cipher slash heiress about town, and Rebecca would love it. But that wasn't all. Before I left for the holiday, I'd take care of one other thing. I was gonna Nancy Drew this whole scenario diary. I was gonna figure out who was working against me. And then... I was gonna shut them down. Hard. Uh, so that's Betty. 
uh, in her first chapter. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a moment. Yes? Yeah, okay, cool. So she's writing in her diary, and it's past tense. It's not, oh, diary, like, diary, I'm gonna figure this out. And, and, and I'm gonna... Ah! No, it's, it's worse ah! than this. I With, with all yeah. of the first person, like, present tense stuff. Well, like, it just... I get the past tense when she's recounting events that happened in the office. But why? She didn't need but, to but do then, that. But then she could have just the experienced la- them. It's the last paragraph that is messed up because clearly after... God, I'm putting too much thought in this. I'm putting more thought than the author did. But after this event happened and she got blamed for this thing she didn't do, she wrote in her diary about that. Right. She also wrote in her diary that she has intentions of Nancy during this shit. And that was clearly written before the solution to the mystery occurred. Mm-hmm. Or at least you think it does because there's like, but then again, it's just like 50 pages of other stuff. Maybe this isn't the end of a diary entry. Maybe the chapter cuts arbitrarily and she just keeps writing. And maybe already her whole story is over and she's just writing it. And we just don't get yeah. to read it all at once. Well, I don't know. But I mean, we get another Dear Diary entry in her next chapter. <sighs> You're right. So, yeah, like, it's just like this. I was going to Nancy Drew this whole scenario diary. I was going to figure out who was working against me and I was going to shut them down. That's just that's not how you would write that because at the time you're writing it, you haven't done those things yet. So you would say, I'm going to do this. I will do this. I will do this other thing. This is this right. is a ridiculous nitpick, but it just it just hit me. I uh, would never write if if I were writing in my diary, I simply would not do that. Um, um, and God, her second chapter is nothing. I mean, not really anything. No, uh, she's trying. So we we kind of deal with like a really vague thing about Veronica because she can't get any actual research done, and then she complains about it a lot and talks about Veronica some more. Then makes an amazing, like, numbered list of things that she knows about Cleo, who she suspects of messing with her. God, and, and like... The, like, just... the last item on the list is amazing and worthy well, of some... This is yeah. a thing she wrote. Right. So, it's also weird because I feel like based on the characterization of Betty I'm familiar with, the first two <laughs> items on this list are kind of weird. Like, they don't seem like they'd be the things that jump out for Betty. No, uh, but although one, also the Betty that we know wouldn't be a fashion blogger either. Well, the Betty that we know is also notoriously nebulous and inconsistent. So that is a hundred percent true. Um, things I know about Cleo: she wears cool glasses. Two, she has super shiny hair, hyphenated. Super hyphen shiny hair. Yeah. Three, she's basically never said more than a few sentences to me at a time. And those sentences were usually things like, there's cake in the break room, or Rebecca wants those yoga sock samples, like, right now. To which I responded, oh, thanks, and sure, respectively. Osto forgot that this was a list, and thought that she was just narrating more of the story. That's the theory I'm going with. It's just, it's just a whole paragraph reflecting on random shit. No time to edit. Track on. Yep, keep going. Weekend's not... <laughs> We'll fix it in post. Weekend is not long for this world. Yeah, so she makes that list. And then... She despairs about what she should do. Uh, There's some back and forth about who's going to leave the office or who's going to stay late. And she's like, if Rebecca's still here, I'm staying here. And Cleo is a little sarcastic about it. And that's it! 
That's it. It's like her her kind of writing the Veronica Lodge piece, thinking about what else she can do for the Veronica Lodge piece, and thinking about what she might do about Cleo. And that's the end of the chapter, which also means that that's all we've got for Betty for this uh, section. Yeah. Jughead's not going to be as complicated to go through because even though only like one-ish plot event happens in Betty's, like that's more. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I think we can agree at this point, right, that Jughead's sections, are, it's just a tone piece. It is like, yes, a very long, very inept beat poem. Right, like it feels like Nicole is in here just trying to feel out the tone and like what if anything the that happens, beginning narration of the first episode of Riverdale but for one fourth of a book right and it's just trying to find its feet as much as that was <laughs> so yeah he like he reminisces about the twilight in his childhood you know he's getting sad and then Sal the owner of the twilight the the drive-in movie theater shows up with a serpent yep who just is there to call Jughead like a stupid cuck and that his dad is obviously still with the serpents, you fucking baby. Yep, so we just have a person stroll into town to deliver some exposition. And, like, the way they described him, I thought that he was, like, actually one of the serpents, but I, I guess not. I don't know. He's at the White Worm, dumbass. The end of this first chapter, though, he decides he needs to go to Andrew's construction to talk to Mr. Andrews about this, naturally. Like, hey, is my dad still working for you? Yeah, like, what else is a lie? I'm already salty that you demoted him for his alcoholism and, like, getting into shit, but he's got to still be, like, working for you, right? You do right by him. And then we get uh, maybe my favorite piece of this, like, multimedia experience. Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, Which is a Southside Serpents poster that says... Are you ready to ride or die, s -s -s Southside Serpents? <laughs> Believe me, I I did give this its due uh, in in the in the play by play. But oh, good! My I favorite, want your thoughts on it because my favorite part of it, like, there's so much good stuff going on here, right? My favorite is the redacted number four. Oh that, yeah, like is not even properly redacted. It's just got an X through it, and then clearly, like it it isn't. That's like, not how implied. redacted works either. And, and like the thing is, with true, like it, this seems to be implying that it's no longer a rule or something. Instead with, of this is a secret rule, right, that, like, right, right. Normies, which can't is see. not what redacted means, right? So, and also, you don't put redacted on the thing you redact. Redacted in brackets is for a transcript, like a transcription of something where something is marked out, right? And the X there implies someone like took a marker to it. But yes, the or they fucking went in Photoshop and printed that. Well, right, and then the redacted part, though, is in brackets and neat font, so it doesn't look like somebody wrote that on the poster. Is it stamped? Because it's at a slight angle. It could be. It could also Did just someone be Photoshop put a, trickery. a stamp on the poster? <laughs> um, <sighs> and then I gotta say, I love, think you have what it takes to join us? You'll have to guard the beast, grab the knife, handle a snake bite, and survive the gauntlet. And again, the escalation on those is not like a gradual curve. It's take care of a cute dog, literally grab a knife, and probably get bit by a snake that has no venom. And then get the ever-loving shit And then get hospitalized by a yeah. bunch of gangsters beating you half to death. Well, you know what I have to say to that, Rob? If you think you're freaking tough enough, go to the White Worm and ask for Tallboy. 
Oh, this poster is uh, soon to be obsolete. <laughs> I know. I guess not that soon. This is before season one. But... Yeah, uh, it'll it'll take a while. God, was season... he tall? <laughs> was he tall? <laughs> yeah, Jughead does in fact go to Andrew's construction, and really, all that happens is he talks to Fred Andrews, and Fred Andrews eventually tells him, yeah, your dad's the leader of the Serpents. Yeah, he doesn't work for me. I let him go in March. He's the leader of the Serpents. Also, you and Archie are going to be hanging out tomorrow, right? Have fun at your sleepover. That's nine pages. Um, So that's all to Jughead. Uh, yeah, that's all that happens. He finds out that his dad is probably still involved in the Serpents in some way, and then he finds out that the way that he's involved is that he's their actual leader. And that's it. That is all for this section for him. That's, that's all there is. Yeah, and then... Here comes the Veronica section, which yes. I actually think this is a time to touch on right after that um, Serpent's poster is a text exchange between Cam and Nick St. Clair. And it's a million pages. It is like three pages. Four? Four pages Four long. entire pages. Uh, there's one page that there's is There's one page that is a texts. lot of white space. Yeah. There's um, actually, wait, why is that? Uh, I think it's, like, the passage of time, because there's, like, the little waves at the top of the next yeah, page. Yeah, but the little waves could just be on the page, and then... Or oh well, you could make, fine. like, real texts and timestamp them. Um, yeah. Oh, well. No, but that's not what we want to do. We want to fill up as much pages as possible, obviously. And, like, this this does start to, like, build some of that tension around, like, oh, like, they're actually play They're actively playing. Veronica. Yeah, they, like, this they're is their various their friends. Nick, Cam... Annie. Annie. I'm not even going to fucking pretend to know who these people are anymore, aside from Nick, who's in the show. But, like, basically all her shitty friends are, like, uh, okay. so fantasizing about how good it's going to be to watch her get screwed over. Right. Because uh, that's pages. what it's like when you're, you're living the life of an heiress. But that break, I realize, is actually uh, delineating the time that is a conversation between Nick and Cam and a conversation between Cam and Annie. Yes. God. This chapter, the first the chapter is Veronica, like, briefly talking with Hermione, and then it is her going to a coffee shop and having, like, a really awkward interaction with her friends. Yeah, real some real Ides of March shit, like, where Caesar accidentally walks into the same cafe as all the people who are going to stab him, and they're like, hey, hey, Caesar, how are you doing? Right. So she runs into Cam and Annie, because uh, she had to go on an errand. And she Ubered down. She didn't take the... No, I'm sorry. She Ubers later. She's not Ubering yet. Um, but yeah, it, it's like that sort of... They're building tension. Like, obviously, these people are working against her. And she's not really understanding what's going wrong. But, like, something is happening that seems weird and stilted. I think it does an okay job at building that tension. Even if it's really kind of mundane. Again, we're grasping at straws here. Anything that's like an actual book... Right, again, like, in a better book, this could have been executed well and, like, could have built things up in a really interesting way. And I think it does it okay. I think, honestly, in this section of the book, Veronica has the strongest writing. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else to say about that chapter? Uh, the It's just weird that all of the pre-going-to-the-coffee-shop stuff in this chapter is a sequel is just her emotionally processing what happened in her previous chapter, and because of the format of this book, that was 50 pages ago, uh, right. which is a little bit weird. That is weird. And then, do we want to talk about Dilton Doily's field notes? Because that actually directly follows this chapter. Um, 
Or do we want to say that? It has nothing to do with anything. Let's let's finish up Veronica's story and then we can (laughs) then we can have little uh, apocalyptic insane field journal as a treat. Yeah. So the next chapter, a billion pages later, fucking Veronica goes to a super expensive department store. Forty-five pages later. Yeah. Yeah, she goes to Barney's, a super expensive store, and just gets, like, completely shut down by everyone there. She's, like, asking for the things she would normally ask for and is being treated like a fucking plebeian, like a peasant. Yeah, everyone's trying to, like, everyone's not giving her service. They're distancing themselves from her. She feels like there's a lot of people who were, like, just talking about her who shut up right when she walks into the room. It's very uncomfortable. Like, there, there's a disjunction. There is something wrong here in all, like, you know initial caps on that mm-hmm. and and this is the part of the book that th- thus far has been the most like a book there's right. tension this, this something is wrong tension. and we're experiencing it like without fully understanding it and we're worried right and like if you've watched the show then you know what happened yes um but veronica like is not in a place of knowing when everyone else is and everyone is assuming that she knows and so it creates this really good relatively dynamic where She's trying to navigate that and, like, figure out what the hell is going on until she gets, like, brought in by security at Barney's. Oh, and I need to issue a bit of a correction on original pros and cons uh, coverage of this uh, chapter. I missed a line. There are a bunch of looky-loos with camera phones, which is why there is a TMZ pop-up ad at the end doing a poll about Veronica Lodge. It's Mm -hmm. because... It's not that, like, somehow the security cameras from the store got it. It's that there's just some various people with their phones out. So that's actually fine. It's less mm-hmm. less dystopian and weird than I thought it was. Yeah. My favorite part of this is um, the percentages that are displayed on the poll. I feel like usually... Actually, if you're just going for, like, a really shitty pop-up ad, you would display the percentages. But if you actually want to get that click-through, you want people to click and then find out the percentage, because then you've got their click. Yes, that is true. Then you've also, gotten... it's not a very scientific poll because you have a popularity bias when you when you display. Once one thing gets out ahead, uh, herd mentality takes over and more people will vote for, yes, bitch has got to go down. Right. I also think my favorite piece of weird crap in this chapter is when Veronica looks at the manager when she says, we've been monitoring you since you came in. And she's like, uh, excuse you, that's illegal. And then the manager's like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm sorry, but it's not. And that's Veronica. Yep. She basically realizes that something is very wrong with uh, what's going on with her dad. Okay. And then I guess before we get into the final section, Archie. Which is n- no great shakes, I'm God. afraid. Yeah, no. Uh, we're going to talk about the best part of this book. So yes. Far, which is Dilton Doily's field notes. A blood moon. God. Evil doesn't cease to exist merely because we refuse to see it. I learned that at too young an age. My father said he was doing me a favor. So this is actually interesting because I still believe that Dilton Doily deserves to go to prison. Yes. But this... For the safety of just everyone. Right. But this actually really creates a different perspective on what led that weird freaky boy to the point where he needs to go to prison yeah like this 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 bizarre creature that reveres violence that we see in the show yeah i would it's almost like tamuzian 
in the Orpheus sense. <laughs> you know, if not Darren Feldman, then Dilton Doily. <laughs> yeah, he went, like, whitewater rafting with his uncle, and his uncle just straight up died, like, right in front of him. Yep. Just drowned. A- and that fucked his dad up real bad. Son, you will never be unprepared again. He's got him, like, diffusing IEDs. Not tying, knife throwing, identifying poisonous flora, purifying any water source, spotting a predator from any and every approach, diffusing IEDs. If that had been a real bomb, we'd both be dead, he told me at the time. I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. Like, this is actually genuinely pretty harrowing. Yeah, then he fucking blindfolds his son, drives him an hour or two out into the fucking wilderness and just leaves him. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you. The world is tough and unforgiving. He said words that I'd eventually parrot to Jughead Jones. Foolish, cynical Jughead. Weak, lame yeah, Jughead. lame, weak Jughead. You've seen that yourself. Younger than a boy should have to. You've come a long way, Dilton. So he's issued the final test. in Which, which is he... fucking survive in the woods. Yeah, like... As a tiny little kid. For nine days, um... Like, you know how in Full Metal Alchemist, when they go to get trained by Izumi Curtis, she sends them to an island to survive for a month? Yeah. It's like that. Except, uh, they like, don't learn tiny alchemy. kid with like, no powers. Yeah. He does not learn alchemy out of this. And not just even kills two a rabbit. of them, just one of them. Yep. Um, and then he starts going off about Bailey's Comet. Yep. I, which is a nice... I love that a comet gets the Riverdale brand name treatment, by the oh, way. Yeah. Like, just a little bit. Which appears to be increasing frequency. Like, it's return. It's supposed to return every eight years. Now it's coming faster and faster and faster. Now Eventually it's just up every it will nine strike months. The and tonight we'll see our fourth blood moon in as many months. An event long prophesized to signal the end times. And it ends... Again, this has nothing to do with the Dilton that we experience in the show. Except no. to provide, like, this weird bit of context. And, like, they end this section by saying, The boys may balk at first. They may be reluctant to believe that their idyllic Riverdale could ever be a danger. Could ever be a threat to them. To their existence. But they'll see the blood moon. They'll hear my stories. Eventually, they'll come around. Also, it's uh, worth noting that he literally believes that Bailey's Comet will slam into North America and cause an extinction event at a level not seen since the dinosaurs. Yes. And also, the things they need to equip themselves. Water. (laughs) Defense. Better defense. (laughs) Endurance. Strength. It's a survival bunker, of course. That there's a weird dynamic going on here. Because if there is a comet orbiting the Earth... And falling closer to the Earth each time. How is this not, like, a world-known, real big international emergency? Oh, I mean, every... Like, are we to believe that Bailey's Comet is actually a hallucination? Like, just a pure delusion of Doily's diseased mind? Uh, It could be. But, like, especially because I feel like in the life that I live, every maybe 14 months or so... I do see a news story that's like NASA has identified a comet that's coming close to Earth and like, if it hits, it could kill us all. But it's not the same one every time. No, no, (laughs) and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying like, if it was, then there'd be more there there. For sure. 
Also, there's such a big difference in there's a big object in space that might, like, that's coming close to us on, like, an astronomical scale. That's way different than, like, oh, shit, this is actually in a descending orbit around, like, it is inevitable that it will hit the Earth. (laughs) Like, those are very different things. Oh, God. But yeah, like, what a weird, like, Dilton Doily is not a well-thought-out character in the show, and, like, they gave him a backstory that makes sense, sort of explored his trauma and his mental illness in a, in a very, like, direct way, which is not what you expect out of this book. And that it just, it feels really weird and bad because of how little it has to do with anything that actually happens. Unless... Next, like, season three, it turns out that this has something to do with what happens. Because I know there's cool And he's actually right. in season three. Like, right. Dil- Dilton Doyle is actually right. Hashtag Dilton was right. God. So, Archie. Archie time. Uh, first? He's zoning out on the job at Andrew's construction. Yep. And then his dad can tell something's going on. He thinks that he's out, you know, uh, with the ladies at night. Yeah, he's like, ah, oh, my son's going to get his dick wet. I'm so proud. What's interesting to me here is this exchange with Fred. I don't feel like it's Fred as much as with the interaction that Jughead has with Fred in a couple chapters. But yeah, he basically just says, oh, haha, dad, no, nothing's happening. Uh, I'm just going to go hang out with Jughead tonight and I'm going to stay at his place and then we're going to Centerville tomorrow. Haha. And then uh, Archie feels bad about being a liar. Yep. That's. A lot of what Archie does, like, Archie feels guilty and Jughead feels angsty about, like, the state of the world, right? Like, that's mostly what the two of them respectively do in the whole book. Ooh. The end of this chapter is bad, though. The text message exchange between Ben and Geraldine. Oh, God. Yeah, just, like, let's just, let's just focus on how fucking gross this is. The implication, of course, is another victim. Yes. Of this sexual predator. And like, oh, here's the way that she's manipulating him. Yep. It's like, oh no, I can't. Disgusting. I can't see you right now. I've got plans on the on the Fourth of July. So like, we we're we're now to to understand that there are multiple children yeah, in this position. Disgusting. Ugh. I like the part where Hal killed her. Yeah. Anyway, like <laughs> broken clock. <laughs> So that was all for for Archie at the start here. So then we go to yet more angsting about his relationship with Geraldine, if you can call it that. And then he has a quick encounter with Dilton. Yes, our boy. That that boy, which is weird. And then he has a a little thing hinting at the relationship to come with Val. Yeah, like she he has a straight up meet cute with with Val from the Pussycats, which I guess. It works, I guess. It's like, hey. That said, I mean, maybe this is a very pointless way to look at it, but like, what is the point of this if you haven't already seen the first season of Riverdale? Well, this book is fan service. That's all it is. Yeah, it's just it like, hey, this is a thing that's going to happen later. That. Remember, you remember from season one, right? And, and like, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, basically, yeah. And then it ends with an email from Hermione Lodge to Fred Andrews, being like. Hey, I'm going to be coming to town. Could you help get me set up? Ooh, ooh. There's a lot of things like that. There was like something uh, at some point in the book, like Cliff Blossom distancing himself from Lodge Industries. Like there's a lot of like intercalary material that's, yeah, Hiram's going down and like nobody wants to be chained to that sinking ship, basically. Yeah. Little do they know that rich people don't actually have to serve consequences and they can be back by season two to be the villain. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's it. That's the That's biggest, it. chonkest section of this book, and nothing fucking happens in it. Mm-mm. Except for Veronica having a bad day at the store and backpack gate. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all, folks. This book is actually amazing in how it fills a book-length number of pages with nothing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's really actually astonishing to try to unpack. Mm-hmm. Just you do manage to like create four separate but and distinct internal monologues of bullshit one for each pov right so that most of the book can just be aimless thoughts mhm yeah dang yeah these books are I, I i just can't wait to see if the second one is like this <laughs> i it might be i'd it be could. interested to see if she's just produced 400 500 pages of treading water yeah i mean there's got to be some sort of... Like, that's impressive in its own way. Yeah, it is, genuinely. <laughs> it's a feat. Uh, this is, this is like... <laughs> this is like the literary equivalent of the filibuster. Jesus. <laughs> it is. All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.